This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer with you on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. It was the final day of COP28. We were broadcasting live, bringing together thought leaders, conversation starters and some fantastic ideas. From the authors to Ministry of Education, where healthcare and sustainability intersect, some fantastic conversations. Plus, it was Alex from House of Social who was on hand to hold your hand through the busy festive seasons as a small business owner. How do you stand out from the crowd? How do you measure your ad spend? It was a great one. Essential listening if you want to boost your business in 2024. We're going to be speaking to an awful lot of incredible thought leaders around the topic of environment on this, the last day of COP28, and asking them to reflect on the last few weeks. And my goodness, could not be more honoured to speak to now Her Excellency Dr. Amna Al-Shamzi, the Assistant Undersecretary for the Care and Capacity Building Sector at the Ministry of Education now. Dr. Amna, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Helen? I'm really well, thank you. I feel like this time has gone in some ways so quickly, but so much has been discussed and achieved. Um, Would you mind just sharing your thoughts, just a few minutes of reflecting on COP28 here at Expo City Dubai? Yes, I would love to. First, um, we're feeling a bit of mixed emotions (laughs) because this is the last day of COP and we've been here for the past 13 days. It's been going really great and uh, with education at the very forefront of the agenda of the COP28 agenda this year, I think the UAE has made a remarkable progress in this area and we are going to see more progress in climate education worldwide following up this point. We're talking today about um, the at Greening Education Hub, themed legacy from the land of Zayed. But before we talk about that, I'd love to talk about your own passion for the planet, Dr. Amna, if you don't mind. Are you able to pinpoint when you felt like you really wanted to be part of the conversation? I feel like it has always been there in a way or another. But with so many things that since I joined the education sector in the Ministry of Education, and looking at all the initiatives that have been in place because sustainability and environmental education is not new in the UAE. Mm. It has been there all along and this is part of why we call it legacy because this is the principles and the values that the UAE have been established on. And I have seen a lot of um, uh, initiatives, projects that have been put together forward to serve education from so many entities, whether they are NGOs or environmental entities and others that were meaning to serve the environment and raising the awareness and also educating kids about their role in preserving the planet. Mm -hmm. Now, with all of that, we've, as as a Minister of Education, we've tried to forge partnerships with so many entities. Like, I remember when we signed the MOU with IRENA back in 2019, we were the first a government educational entity worldwide to sign uh, an MOU with them. And we've focused on two things, building capacities of students in the air, in, in sustainable energy and also building a cross-curriculum framework. Now, if I go back to your question about my passion for this, my whole role is about building capacities. And this is the, the title also suggests that. So I focus greatly on uh, programs that are designed 
to build the capacities of the future generations. And I don't think there is anything more dear to my heart than watching those students grow over the years through all the programs that we mm -hmm. offer in the Ministry of Education and to see the impact and to see them coming back because they have this sense of trust with anything that the Ministry of Education is currently offering for them. And they know it is going to serve them and serve the country and, with, uh, and serve the globe as well um, in, in the long run. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I wondered what some of your key takeaways, and we are going to talk about the hub and greening schools, greening curriculum, greening capacities, as you touched on there, and greening communities. But when you, when, you know, in, in years to come, when you look back and think, you know, my goodness, Dubai hosted COP28, what are your, some of your key memories or conversations that you think you'll always carry with you, Dr. Amna? I think one of the key messages and the, the key words that we've been ha hearing over and over again is that we're witnessing the legacy that is going to be taken forward. And hence, that's part of why this, um, this hub has been called the legacy from the land of Zayed. Because it, we're trying to communicate three main things. We're trying to communicate sustainability values that the UAE has as part of its legacy since its very first days. We're trying to communicate that this is the first education uh, hub that has been established for throughout the histories of COP. It took, it took us 27 COPs to realize that education has to be there and the UAE have made its mark there. And we're also working with other presidencies to make sure that that legacy continues. So, so far we've been having conversations since June with Brazil for that. Now with other Bajan um, announced as the next um, the next host of COP, then we're going to as well collaborate with them to make sure that the torch is passed mm -hmm. and that this continues to live. The legacy from the land aside, because throughout our implementation in the Greening Education Roadmap, we have focused on working with international partners and agencies to leverage on the networks and the reach out that they have so that whatever we implement nationally within Greening Education, we can translate that through this partnership for other countries so that it's it's not that we only use COP28 as an accelerator for the implementation of climate education, mm -hmm. but it's worldwide we're using this as an accelerating for accelerator for implementation of climate education in other educational systems. So we're providing everything as open source in multiple languages. We want to work together. We don't want anyone to start from square zero. We want to make sure that we accelerate because this is the nature of the urgency of the challenges that we're facing with climate change. Yep. Um, so, Doctor, tell us a little bit about the role of the hub and I guess where the, the start of this initiative came from. So um, the hub is structured according to the Greening Education Partnership that has been announced back in September 22 by the UN and is under the UNESCO currently. And we worked very closely with them to design the scientific content of the hub and also the initiatives that this hub has been, um, has been promoting throughout the 13 days of the COP. As you mentioned earlier, there are four different areas, that is greening curriculums, greening capacities, greening schools, and greening communities. These are actually the four main pillars in the partnership. But what we've done here is that we did not talk about our plans to implement the Green Education Partnership nationally, but we were talking about the outcomes 
what we have achieved so far. Mm -hmm. And the great thing, Helen, is that we have seen a lot of engagement from international participants and educators who are very eager to learn about what we have implemented and take a lot of these practices back home and implement them. Let me give you an example on the cross-curriculum framework. This is a framework that we started working on even before the UAE announced the hosting of the COP28. Oh, wow. The, that was back in 2020. Yes, because we've had sustainability well embedded within our curriculum, but then we started working on the framework that put it in a more structured format with four defined domains and focusing on three main areas, three main uh, takeaways from the uh, this framework. Building knowledge, so we have the depth of knowledge and understanding of sustainability and environmental concepts. Then we have the, um, the skills that the students require to use across different areas, which is also related to green job skills and so on. Mm. And then you have the values as well, because values is what really drives action throughout the society. And because this is important to ensure the um, continuity and integration as well between the different pillars, we use this framework to work with so many of the national partners to bring their content and align it with this framework. And it serves all the way from early childhood to high schools and also have coverage over the higher education institutes as well. And we've had Department of Energy, we had Ministry of Energy and Infrastructure, we had Youth for Sustainability from Mazdar, we had Aleph Education who have all, all been partners in aligning and designing content for the curriculum through uh, based on this cross-curriculum framework in addition to the big green lesson that the Ministry of Education has initiated along with a lot of the environmental activists and actionists worldwide and nationally as well. When you talk about greening communities, it's very important to connect the school to the community because mm -hmm. that's when you start to see lifestyle change, yeah, mindset change. Absolutely. And think about schools as if they are a network of so many connected nodes that if you start propagating any messages throughout the schools, it will go to the local communities because kids are going to carry out everything that you teach them within the school, especially if it's linked to their everyday practices back to their homes, to their families, to their local communities. And this is when you're going to see the ripple effect of everything that you do through those actions and values. You're, and you're so right. Um, sorry, I, um, I just feel like as a parent, I feel like it's really important for us to acknowledge that, my goodness, our kids love teaching us. You know, they mine come home Absolutely. with this yes. idea of, me too. Me oh my, too. I, you know, they, they've told me that we can't buy certain toothpaste brands or certain products because, you know, we're not thinking about the orangutan's habitat. And children, you know, my daughter, my eight-year-old, she means business. You know, she will police us in the supermarket and say, no, 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 no. And I think it's so lovely to place a bit of power in their hands. And even if we do know what they're talking Absolutely. about, to allow them that confidence to, to really teach us because that's where the passion starts. Yes, and, and because children are very important, we've initiated as well um, a program. We call it the Net Zero Heroes. It targets kids from 9 to 15 years old. We had more than 350 applications from students from around the UAE, and we've selected 35 students. We've trained them with the UNICEF, and we put them through simulation here in the Greening Education Hub, and we've engaged them in so many conversations here as well, and we're intending to continue to work with them because these are going to be our agents of change in their schools, in their houses, and across the community. And this is only the first batch. We're going to have more batches 
as we grow and continue because it's not only about what we do in the event in COP28 it's about what we sustain and continue to do in our national educational systems and worldwide as well. I think you you know used that word accelerator so so perfectly earlier, Dr. Amna, that you know this is the springboard I think for an awful lot of incredible collaborations and conversations, and it's our responsibility, yes, as educators but also as parents, to keep those conversations yeah. going after after COP has left the city. Tell us a little bit then, I guess, for your hopes for the future. If you could look ahead to five, even ten years' time, when we think about the role that the Ministry of Education has when it comes to the environment, what with those greening curriculums. What would you love to see, Doctor? So we've invested a lot of time and effort into designing programs for training the teachers and for greening the schools, and we're going to continue to work with them. We've put a three-year plan along with our partners, but what we want to see being achieved is that this becomes organically and, and naturally mm. are embedded within our educational system. There is no need to set KPIs. There is no need to follow up on reports and evaluations because if we really want to achieve our targets, it would be there naturally without any enforcement. And that would as well be the case in our houses, in our uh, communities, because if we want to reach what we want to reach worldwide, it has to become it has to become naturally embedded and one of the things that we focus on or we keep saying is that those kids those kids that are really informed as you said earlier they are, the kids are really informed and they have information everywhere and they are making the best use of it we have to empower them they are the leaders of tomorrow they are the ones who are going to have the responsibility of preserving the earth and making sure that they can really design the solutions to adapt to some of the climate changes because some things are irreversible but they have also the ability to design solutions innovative solutions for the world to adapt to climate changes and to to try and decrease the impact and maintain more um, well-preserved earth and also maintain the environment around them. You're absolutely right. When we think about climate change, there's an awful lot of fear involved, but there's also an awful lot of opportunity there as well um, to really continue to nurture some of these young minds and passions. So thank you for the role you've played in that. Dr. Amna, I'm going to let you enjoy the rest of your afternoon. I'm sure there's still some amazing conversations, collaborations to be done. Um, and thank you for joining us today talking about the Greening Education and Hub. Any of you or any, any of the listeners have still time? We're still here until 6 p.m. Maybe you can drop by. I'm finished at 5. <laughs> I will see you there. Dr. Amna, uh-huh. thank you so, so much. Wishing you a wonderful afternoon ahead. And thank you for sharing your personal and thank professional you. passion. Dr. Amna Al-Dahak Al-Shamzi, Assistant Under Secretary for the Care and Capacity Building Sector, Ministry of Education, and she's a Greening Education Hub. Theme Legacy from the Land of Zayed, COP28. It is the final day of COP28. The conversations might be ongoing, but I think for an awful lot of people, some mixed feelings about the end of this incredible initiative, There's this... It's, it's been really quite emotional, I think, for an awful lot of people to come back to the Expo City Dubai site and to have global conversations, think about what can be happening on ground here in the UAE. And we really want those conversations to continue. We want initiatives to continue. We want this passion to keep going throughout the months and years. And one woman who I know shares this sentiment in the studio now, 
Marina Antonopoulou is the Chief Conservation Officer at Emirates Nature WWF. She's got more than 18 years of experience in nature conservation, sustainability and environmental policy and currently oversees the climate and nature portfolio. So it is the only federal environmental charity in the UAE and the work it does with corporates, with schools, with individuals as well is what we're shining a light on today to hopefully inspire you to keep that conversation and that action going. Marina, thank you for being with us today and I know it's a busy afternoon. How are you? Thank you, Helen. I'm doing great, actually. Um, it's, been a, it's been a whirlwind couple of weeks. What are some of the memories that you think you're going to take with you following COP28? It has been quite busy, I have to admit, but it has been also super exciting for us. Um, as you mentioned earlier, we're an environmental non-government organization present here for 23 years and hosting COP28, the biggest climate convention uh, of the world here in the UAE, is a, is a fantastic opportunity for us. One of the primary objectives of what we're doing here at COP is to showcase our work to the world, showcase our partnerships as well to the world and show how the work we're doing here locally connects essentially with the whole climate action that needs to take place uh, globally. We're going to talk about some of those projects in just a few minutes. I want to talk about you first. Um, where did your passion for the planet start? Can you pinpoint it, Marina? It's a great question. I can, actually. So I'm originally from Greece. Uh, my mom comes from an island on the West Coast. It's called Kefalonia Island. If you haven't been there, please put it on your destination list. Summer 2024. <laughs> I'll pick your brains in just a minute. Definitely. I'm here <laughs> to help. Um, so I remember growing up there in the summers, you know, going and visit my grandmother. And as a kid, you know, um, those days you could just roam around nature, spending time by the sea. I remember, you know, swimming first before even being able to walk, <laughs> if I might be frank. So I think ever since, you know, nature, being in nature, the, the feeling that I have, you know, taken, carried forward through, through this childhood time, um, it actually, you know, has, has, has is in my mind. You actually. probably didn't even realize how lucky you were. <laughs> it's interesting. We've, we had a, a number of conversations recently about connecting children to nature and actually a very serious problem of nature deficiency and the, what that can lead to mm. in terms of poor quality sleep to do with, I mean, really, we want our children to feel connected to the planet so they want to care for the planet. Um, and here in Dubai, I think it's a bit of a misconception that, you know, it's just, you know, shiny buildings and, and five-star hotels. You know, it's such a choice for parents and for schools to turn towards nature and the, the many shapes and, you know, ways it, it could look like, whether that is mangroves or beaches or, you know, or desert or just your back garden and getting that microscope out and, uh, and picking up a bug or two. Um, so it's, but it's also a choice to love nature and then to make that your life's work, Marina, and that's something that you've obviously done over the last 18 years. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about how that climate conversation has changed since you started working in nature conservation? It's, it's a very good point what you bring, Helen. I think uh, over the years we started to understand that nature is actually essential for our you know, human well-being, Absolutely. for our health, as you mentioned earlier, but also for our economies. We tend to take it for granted. Um, you know, three billion people rely on oceans for their livelihoods because of fishing, because of the ecotourism activities, uh, because of the protection we gather against storms, because we have mangroves and corals, you know, on our coastlines, for example. We rely on freshwater resources, right, for food production. We rely on pollinators to be able to have food on our tables as mm -hmm. well. So these are all the things that we're taking for granted. Uh, 
typically they don't have a cost. You know, nature offers us the services for free. And the the dialogue has shifted. So we're seeing now private sector wanting to understand how they can integrate nature and climate change into the decision making. Uh, we're seeing financial institutions, banks coming and talking, you know, and coming into the dialogue of uh, what is climate action? How can we reduce emissions? I want to be part of this, you know, movement of climate action. And where we are coming in is to catalyze the whole system, as we say, the whole society here in the UAE using, you know, platforms or creating platforms where people can come together um, and find solutions together of what are the barriers we're facing here in the UAE and what are the solutions we want to bring to the table. Can you share some examples of some of the projects past, present and maybe even future that maybe we're not aware of or perhaps some that we could get involved in i can talk about it forever of course we've got (laughs) <laughs> How's a few minutes? <laughs> sure. So I would say that uh, two of the flagship projects we have and I'm, I'm really, really passionate about is the what we call the UAE Alliance for Climate Action. This is actually uh, part of a global network of similar alliances around the world. And the idea is, back to the point I was trying to make, is to, yes, we do have the decision makers and policy makers that they, you know, direct us in terms of where we want to be mm-hmm. into limiting emissions. But the idea is bringing corporate sector, increase our awareness, increased readiness, but also collective action on the ground. So we are actually launching as well a pilot as part of this alliance that wants to drive further ambition in the UAE into a further reduction of emissions in key economic sectors uh, here. The second project that I'm also really passionate is around what we call sustainable blue economy. And, uh, you know, you find all these words coming together because of what I was trying to say earlier, that nature and oceans are at the heart of our economies. Mm -hmm. But we, in order to make sure that we have prosperous economies and societies, we need to make sure that we protect that nature, right? And we're trying to develop um, a model here in the UAE, working together with the Ministry of Economy and the government of Omar Queen to develop a model of how we can actually develop economically, but in line with nature. At the same time, and I'll finish here, Helen, is, again, that is a solution we want to co-design with our local stakeholders, but also with the local communities. Living in Umalkwane, the local entrepreneurs, so and a good example of the sustainable economy activity is ecotourism, right? But this needs to be taken care care their nature re- as well. Yeah, exactly, regulating that mm-hmm. and making sure the best the best people with the best intentions exactly. are, are there spearheading it. For anyone that's listening now that would love their you know their company or their community to get involved, and I'm a firm believer that so many of us want to do good, want to do better, but sometimes don't know how, need a bit of a, a helping hand. Um, what's the best way of getting in touch or starting, whether it's a platform or a project with you guys? So I would say first, as an individual, if you are working in a company and you're interested to find out how do you scale up ambition in terms of climate action, come to find us. Um, we have those alliances and programs in place where we can talk to companies as well in that sense, but also for individuals, right? So we have this fantastic program, we call it Leaders of Change, and we want to make sure that people through an experiential approach, they come with us in nature and understand how nature is important, well, but they're also part of the it, solution. Exactly. Absolutely. You need to see it, feel it, care for it, mm-hmm. understand it, but also I think you need to have an auction action-oriented approach. Mm-hmm. So you have to be part of that movement to make a difference. And we've seen, you know, uh, over hundreds of companies, over, you know, I believe we have thousands of of actually members of this Leaders of Change movement that they have been with us throughout the journey and they're super excited to come with us. 
it's a shame because we had also um, throughout COP uh, an escape room with a theme of escape climate change what? and a mangrove. What time is it finishing? <laughs> Can I come after the show? Definitely. We, de- <laughs> we invite you. The team is there. I'll go actually. I love an escape soon. room. Join me. Whereabouts is it? In the green zone. And the reason why we had it in the green zone is because we wanted the community Accessible of the UAE to come and, and experience that. Thank yeah. you so much. So away from Expo City Dubai, the conversation, the action keeps on going. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we've had this afternoon the Chief Conservation Officer at Emirates Nature, WWF, Rina Antonopoulou. Thank you so much. It's Thank been an you, absolute pleasure. Go and enjoy the rest of the afternoon. I know it's a, it's a fantastic atmosphere here. And um, as I said, those conversations, those actions continuing beyond COP28. It is the final day of COP28, but rightfully so, there are an awful lot of people and organisations who want to keep the conversation going, keep the platform going, keep the action going. And joining us to talk sustainability and innovation in healthcare in particular, Umar Munir is with us, environmental specialist of operations at Cleveland Clinic, Abu Dhabi. How are you, Umar? Fine, thank you, Helen. How are you? I'm really well. I find this, this I find this intersection really fascinating. It was something we touched on on Arab Health um, over the weekend, which was just how energy consuming the healthcare industry is and this was this was new information to me so i wonder if you wouldn't mind start by speaking to that why and how does healthcare use so much energy yeah so healthcare is a bit different than the other commercial sector because it consumes three times more energy compared to the other commercial sector in the same in the same industry because of uh, the two main reasons. The first one is the HVAC, which is the heating, ventilation, air conditioning system, which is the 52% of the total, which consume the 20, 52% of the total uh, energy consume uh, of the hospital, plus the clinical equipment, the healthcare mm-hmm. equipment, like the dental chair, the MRI machine, the imaging and the radiology consume a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. So this sector is a bit different uh, in terms of the scope two of the greenhouse gas, which uh, is more on the purchase services of the electricity so we have very huge bills and i was i'm just referring to a survey in the u.s uh, in 2021 they say 52 percent of the building energy is consumed by the heating ventilation the air conditioning system because uh, the hospital the air conditioning system is uh, very different Uh, an example is we provide 20 air changes in the operating rooms for patients 20 air changes per hour changes is a huge and same we have a hundred percent fresh air for the labs and the patient rooms we provide four inch four air changes per hour in icu so Mm -hmm. you see how much the energy demand is there. And we're, we're, so, say, we're certainly not saying, you know, unplug the ventilators and, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's not worry about keeping everyone cool or the equipment safe. It's about, I guess, looking where the opportunities lie. And uh, again, what I find fascinating, you, you're an environmental specialist who's working in healthcare. And I think when we, when we look forward to the, the roles that, you know, our children, our children's children are going to be doing, there are going to be so many ways that the environment intersects in different industries, different opportunities, different, different roles, you know, whether that's environmental law or, you know, or healthcare. So I wondered about that sustainability piece, um, about what's currently being done. You're at Cleveland Clinic in Abu Dhabi. What, when you look at innovation, we look at sustainability, are there any practices any technologies that you're currently implementing that maybe patients and visitors would have absolutely no idea about, Uma? Uh, yeah, so the, the, the 
if you see the sustainability is a broad chapter it starts from the design where when you construct a healthcare facility how you design it uh, how much like for example what's the building orientation from sunset to sun uh, uh, sunrise to sunset uh, how uh, how you can use the maximum daylight uh, how how you can design the green roofs the green gardens so this is the design parameters then you come into the construction uh, sustainability practices to divert the 80 to 90% of the construction waste from the landfill you go with the low volatile organic compound chemical the adhesive and the sealants the formaldehyde free wood which is very carcinogen you know cancer causing so these kind of parameter we took in the construction phase then we come into the operation phase where the really uh, the sustainability comes in your daily to day to day operation from housekeeping where you use green, uh, green clean chemicals the energy efficiency the en energy efficiency the energy management demand is there so you have to take a lot of uh, uh, actions to op to improve your energy efficiency and to and optimize the system for example you have to start with no cost initiatives how you can switch off light based on the occupancy level of the hospital the what time you close the hospital you can go to the minimum lighting you can dim the lights where you have more daylight you have uh, you don't use the light at all then you have a low cost energy conservation measure where which you can easily you know it's called the low hanging fruits in energy management so you can optimize the the HVAC system, you know, the airflow rate when your operating room is not occupied, you bring from 20 air change to six air changes. And then you have the recapitalization of the uh, energy measure where you go when uh, equipment completes 10 years life cycle, you have uh, to change any equipment. For, I'll give a, a good example. We have a EC fan arrays, you know, the fan, fan plug motors that supply airflow to the HVAC system. Mm -hmm. So the one previous one was in 2012. So it's an old technology. The new one we started in the recapitalization are 30% efficient by design. And when we put the setbacks, we will save 50% from the fan motors. So it's it's quite, uh, you know, uh, a broad chapter in healthcare from design to construction to daily operation and to the And I will say the education part is important where every patient every doctor has a responsibility what to use what uh, how to segregate the waste an example from cleveland clinic abu dhabi is the anesthesia team what they did they have stopped the uh, waste uh, the one of the most greenhouse gas producing anesthesia gas which is called the dust fluorine uh, is also banned in uk so it's this dust fluorine stays in the climate for 14 years and it's 2,500 more toxic than the carbon dioxide. Wow. wow. So it, This is what I find really interesting yeah. is that you, it, it's such a choice, you know, whether it is a chef looking at food waste or a hospital looking at energy consumption to, to choose to tune into it, to measure it, to try and improve it. We're going to talk next about, I guess, that gold standard. You know, in an ideal world, what would every hospital and clinic be doing. Um, joining us from Cleveland Clinic in Abu Dhabi, Umar Munir is Environmental Specialist in Operations. Um, we are on hand to help and shed some light talking sustainability in healthcare as we are, of course, at one of the biggest, <laughs> biggest epicenters of these conversations in the world. Joining us on the line now from Cleveland Clinic, Abu Dhabi, is environmental specialist Umar Munir. We've only got a couple of minutes, um, Umar, so I wanted to ask you, in an ideal world, yeah. if I could make you, let's say, 
global minister of the environment and with healthcare in particular, if we were going to build new hospitals, build new clinics, what would be your absolute gold standard with the environment in mind for today and for the future? Uh, your voice was disconnected. Can you oh, re-ask the question? Because two times it was disconnected. That's Sorry. strange. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. If you could build the hospital of the future with the environment in mind, everything from inside, outside, patient experience, doctor experience, we've only got a couple of minutes. What would you love to see every health facility on the planet have for the good of the planet? Yeah, so it's a um, a unique question. Yep. So if every healthcare should be green in each single practice from, you know, from daily operation, from the medicine, even I, if I'm a minister, I will make the education mandatory to every single person who's coming to the hospital, who's who can contribute or to 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 the you know, global sustainability. So, yeah, so it's a it's a big one. I know, but it's interesting. We've already yeah. touched on quite a lot of things. I found really interesting there about everything from yeah. using you know green cleaning to you know automated. Uh, you know, as you said before, changing the air 20 times in an operating theatre. And we're certainly not saying, you know, reduce that for the health and safety, but when that room's not being used, how can you reduce it? Um, For anyone that wants to find out more about some of the work you're doing at the clinic, Umar, is there any area on the website, anything that we could find out more about, any resources you could point us towards? Yep. So the Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi uh, has a uh, very, you know, a unique sustainability program. We started back in 2016. Uh, the hospital was also registered with the LEED, which is the United States Green Building uh, Council Green Construction Court, mm-hmm. and we were awarded the LEED Gold Certificate uh, for a V2 version. And this, the hospital successfully achieved the LEED first LEED Gold Hospital in the region. And in 2015, uh, the, the management decided to do a lead goal by operation. So what you design and construct green now, let's operate it green. So we are one of the pioneers uh, healthcare in the region to start the lead e-bomb, which is the existing building operation maintenance to start from the six main uh, prerequisites of the lead. That's from sustainable sites, which include the green landscape. Uh, sustainable transportation, which we have, we are promoting alternatives to commute to the work mm-hmm. that include the water efficiency, that includes the energy management program, which I talked about, the material resources, which is waste and recycling. We have a very good waste uh, recycling program. The One of the key interesting thing, which uh, is uh, very important to the healthcare sector for both health and sustainability is the indoor environmental quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, that contributes to, you know, the indoor health, how its impact on the patient health, the caregiver who's working in the hospital, and the innovation, which uh, we have quite uh, unique innovation in terms of waste management, in terms of uh, energy management and water efficiency. Uh, I'll, I'll give you some very unique example. The Cleveland Clinic has a unique HVAC system, which is 100% fresh air. Uh, this system has a high operating cost, but uh, it's sustainable in terms because we get more than 800,000 liters of AC condensate water per day in peak summer, and it covers 80% of our landscape irrigation demand. Wow! So the so water. We don't the, use, sorry, I just want to make sure I understand this more. So the water that you're getting from those AC units, effectively, you're putting straight back into landscaping. So you're not having to source water from anywhere outside of the hospital grounds. Yeah. 
Yeah, wow. so uh, so as a healthcare, we have you know some limitations to use the grey water system. So this was the best alternative to use a clean water. We treat it with the UV and the ozone system, and we use for our landscape and irrigation. And we had a we have a very huge landscape area, more than a size of four football fields. Wow. And we are using this non-potable water for the outdoor. Uh, one more initiative uh, we have uh, done is the the reverse osmosis water from the dialysis. You know we have more than 36,000 of water being rejected in the drainage line from the dialysis. Mm -hmm. We also divert this to the irrigation tanks. And we so Cleveland has 85% of the outdoor energy demand is from the non-portable water. As so I this said, is quite unique innovation. It's But it is such a choice, you know, for a hospital to have an environmental specialist. Um, I think it's just really, really forward thinking. So thank you for sharing everything that's been going on there at Cleveland Clinic in Abu Dhabi and ultimately what I think an awful lot of health groups could be looking to for the future, for the future of the planet. Uma Munir, thank you so much for speaking to us today on this, the final day of COP28. We love introducing you to inspirational people and my goodness, there's been absolutely no shortage of them during COP28. Not one, but two on the line now. Farah Naz and Alain Nabil are the authors of Mission Zero. They both work in the field of sustainability and talking about this book aimed at inspiring the next generation of eco-warriors. Farah, tell me a little bit about the work that you do and I guess where your passion for the planet began, if you don't mind. Hi everyone, so I am an engineer. I work as a director of ESG and innovation for ACOM Middle East and the passion for the planet started really long time ago. I've been working 20 years in this field in four continents and for the last eight years in the Middle East and the passion became uh, obsession which became a career and I work on buildings, master plans and cities and educating the younger generation is something I hold very truly to my heart. Mm -hmm. So that's where this whole um, idea of the book came and collaborating with Nahala. Nala, tell us how you guys met, if you don't mind. How did that, how did that come about? <laughs> It was um so hi Helen. Hi. Um we met on we met on LinkedIn. Did you? It was really good. So I love writing on LinkedIn and one of the things I keep on writing about was the education Ooh. and um there was a post about my kids and how amazing is climate change education and how important it is. And I think we and then I met Farah and we hit it off and we decided that you know what, I think the next step is that we need to um author a book for kids. And wow. um, what's your day job as such, Nala? How how do you keep yourself out of mischief and and uh, keep the the good the good of the planet top of mind. I work in the transport sector. I'm a sustainability expert at the transport sector. I've uh, gone from the aviation to aircraft maintenance and then to the railway. Mm. So, and at the same time, I love writing. I love advocacy for education, and uh, I do writing on LinkedIn, just trying to spread the good word. So tell us then, Farah, a little bit about Mission Zero. I mean, as it sounds like you guys have got no shortage of knowledge or passion, but, but distilling that into something that is accessible for a younger generation. Is there a story as such? Can you, t can you talk us through what those young readers might find in the pages? Thank you for the questions. The Mission Zero takes the journey with Omar and Sarah, who are our two main characters. Uh, the audience of the book is 8 to 13-year-old children. And the book talks about three very important concepts. First, food. Second, energy. And third, water. Mm. 
And it takes the audience in a journey of these three main elements of life, food, energy, and water, and talks about the initiatives that UAE is holding in this region, talking about these three main climate objectives, if I may say. And these are the three main pointers for COP28 as well. So the book amazingly aligns with that um, vision and intention. The second thing I would say is that this is the first book in the region that talks about and aligns with global challenges, right? Race to zero, race to resilience, UN SDGs. And um, we are very fortunate to have a small uh, support, which Nahale is going to talk about from Jane Goodall Foundation. Wow. Now, if we say why we did that, Nahale Nabil and myself, we strongly believe that it's very important to start early education with children talking about these important concepts mm -hmm. because they are the future dreamers, leaders and change makers and innovators in the world. Absolutely so that's right. where this book comes about. I think one of the concerns when it comes to talking to children about the environment is, you know, is scaring them. You know, we wanted them to be empowered, not fearful. Um, and I wondered if you wouldn't mind, Nala, tell us a little bit about how you strike that balance in the book. Love the question because um, uh, that's why I always advocate for storytelling. Storytelling is um, it, it takes the it takes the edge off of the eco anxiety. Mm -hmm. We need to bring the kids to the right to the right standard of information to that complex complex levels. However, we need to make it easier, simplify it for them. Storytelling gives takes the edge of that anxiety perspective, and there is always there's the the story also gives hope. Right with the innovations, so there's a lot of in innovations in the Mission Zero, where we take kids through the journey of the innovations in the water field, in the food field, in the energy field, and the innovations within the UAE. And with hope, it ignites desires, and 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 this is what we want with our kids to make sure that storytelling gets it to them in the easiest way possible. Mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right in terms of the power of books to tackle quite difficult subjects. You know, everything from you know diversity, you know, bullying, climate action. Um, you said the book is aimed from that kind of, you know, eight, nine up to 13. Is this a book designed for children to read on their own or is it something that a family could get involved in, do you think, Farah? Well, the idea of the book is to get the whole family involved and get excited. And the main idea of the book is taking ownership, talking about how do we take ownership of climate change, climate crisis and biodiversity emergency. Yeah. We're in the middle midst of a climate and biodiversity emergency. And I know the world leaders are talking about how to drive change, but the change has to start from mindset change with our children as parents talking about climate change. Mm -hmm. I think Nala has something to add here. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> Oh, I love this uh, discussion. I mean, one of the things we really believe in is that, that the most powerful tool to fight climate change is an educated child. And this is why we are uh, we advocate for climate change education. And, uh, you know, the kids need to be on the same table. They, they need to discuss exactly what, what the adults are discussing and understand it. Guys, thank you so much. I've had Sophia asking, where can you get the book from? So I'd like to finish on that, if you don't mind. Um, for anyone that wants to get their hands on Mission Zero, it's obviously gifting season. Kids off school can use this time very wisely indeed. Um, Farah, where can we get our hands on a copy? So Mission Zero is available in Amazon. Um, so I really urge everybody to um, come up, take a copy of the book and start reading it and sharing it with the community. 
Guys, thank you so, so much. It's a shame we couldn't have you in the studio here at COP28, but I'd love to have you in the studio in Dubai, I-103.8, very soon indeed. In the meantime, though, it sounds like it's been a real meeting of minds. I love the idea of LinkedIn being a true link to you both and, the, and a real force for good. Thank you so much, Farinaz and Alan Abiel, the authors of Mission Zero. Injecting some much-needed energy and expertise into your life this afternoon. We've got the amazing Alex from House of Social. She is a digital... I don't even know how to describe... A digital expert social media maven she's a consultant she offers free courses and we've stolen her away from her very busy day until five o'clock to answer my questions but most importantly yours so whether you are looking to build your own presence as an individual or you're a small business who needs her expertise to deal with the absolutely crazy season this is your chance 4001 of course on the sms you can use the app you can use the whatsapp as well and i need your energy this afternoon alex how are you I'm good. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. I missed you. Oh, I miss you too. We are at COP28 today. Otherwise, we would have had you in the studio and I could have had a big kind of unicorn hug from you. But teams will have to do in the meantime. Um, I am okay. Um, the the short, that's the, the polite answer. The, the long answer is, you know, when you wake up and you feel like someone's getting shouted at, I just haven't decided who yet. That's kind of where I'm at today. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy season. And I think a lot of people are feeling quite frustrated by social media right now. Um, we were just talking yeah. off air that like my story views are in the absolute toilet right now compared to they were a few months ago. But real engagement is really high. It just feels like a really confusing time. So before we get the text line, would you mind explaining a little bit about what is going on with social media right now? Um, are there any new tools we need to know about? Has anyone cracked the algorithm, Alex? I wish, I wish there was, I, I, first of all, I empathize with what you're feeling with your social media. A lot of my clients are feeling the same. Um, social media right now, it's definitely so overwhelming. What, what is really happening is that our organic reach is having a huge decline. Those kind of golden days are gone. <laughs> so moving on, I know I'm moving on to 2024 we are really going to have to be very strategic about our organic efforts versus our paid media efforts. That's right. All of that, all of that organic reach that we've been having, it's really declining because there's so, you know, especially with Instagram, so many, 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 many people, many accounts on Instagram. So it is getting saturated. So we're going to have to start really paying attention to media strategies you're going to have to start getting uncomfortable and going into new places going into tiktok going into youtube going on to linkedin so we really need to start to branch out of that comfort zone you know our email marketing our whatsapp groups um, we're going to have to start to branch out and i know we've been very comfortable you know many people get very comfortable in one platform but we just can't we're going to have to start getting out there into new platforms i've had lots of questions for you we are going to go to the text line in, in just a few minutes but um i did wonder um when we think about how many people are competing for our hard-earned dirhams right now and i'm thinking about big brands as well as the small businesses how do you think some of the Dubai-based small brands, whether it's a one-man band or indeed a, a growing company, can stand out during a really overwhelming festive marketing season? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So for the festive marketing season, which there's still so much time that you can really capitalize. So for any small business that is on that last minute.com train, it's kind of left it. My best practical advice is pick a product category or pick one product hero and then go all in on that for your festive marketing. Right now, consumers get really overwhelmed. There's so much noise out there. So instead of trying to sell everything that you have, look at what product category or what product was the most popular during the whole year and really focus all of your campaign assets, your Instagram stories, your you know your reels, your videos, your email marketing, your visual promotion on that one hero product or that one product category. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's one style of a dress. You know, there, there's always that one signature item in your product collection that is really your hero. So for the few weeks that we have left, that's my best recommendation to really go all in on that hero product or a specific product category and go all in on that. Otherwise, it will be very overwhelming to try and sell everything. Um, And also for us consumers, on the consumer side, it's very overwhelming. There's so many things going on. So stay very focused on that product collection. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll just I'm going to try and get through as many questions as we can between between now yeah. and five o'clock. I had a message from Julie here yeah. saying, coming to the end of the year, looking at 2024 digital budget, is there a good tool to measure the effectiveness of money spent? Um, so I guess, I mean, I don't know what business Julie is in, um, but if you are a small business and, you know, you may be looking at your, your Google ads, you're looking at your Instagram ads, maybe looking at influencer um, collaborations. Um, is there a tool yeah. to measure effectiveness? And that can be to do with reach and engagement, or perhaps it's about return on investment financially. What do you like? Um, the, the best tool you are going to have is that every month you are going to keep track of everything you spend. The best tool really is going to be your Excel sheet. Make sure that you are financially tracking everything that you are spending on. So make sure that you've got those Excel sheet, an Excel sheet going so that you are listing everything that you are spending and investing in your business. And then it comes the analytics side, you know, looking at Instagram, TikTok, looking at all of those analytics back end, doing those reports and really listing it all down. But what happens a lot with small businesses is that they get very busy. So this type of stuff tends to be forgotten. Like, I don't know, I spent 500 euros or 1,000 euros on Facebook ads. I don't know what I got. This is where that nitty-gritty work, which is not the most exciting, needs to happen. But if you get into the habit of doing it every month, when it gets to that end of year, you should have at least 12 Excel sheet tabs for every month that you've planned your marketing spend. Or if anything, you're just adding in. Every time you're spending something, you're adding it in. And then that end of month report by looking at your Instagram, looking at your TikTok, looking at that video that you promoted. Okay, what did I get? Did I get leads on my website? Mm -hmm. Did I get a lot of views and saves and comments? So that you can really look at that 1,000 dirham that maybe you've spent. And you can say, okay, I spent 1,000, but I got... 50 inquiries. Mm-hmm. I got an increased traffic on my website. It is so important to measure our efforts, especially as small businesses. Otherwise, we don't know where the money is going and what return we're getting. So yeah, it's very nitty gritty work. But if we do it monthly, hopefully by the end of the year, we can have a full picture of everything we've done. And staying with a similar theme, um, uh, P saying on the text line, I don't have much ad budget at all. 
where is it best to spend mm-hmm. um, piece saying it's a jewelry business so I know you okay. I, I know normally when you're working with a client and, and, and you're consulting or indeed teaching um, yeah. you get a bit more information with that but how, how on earth what are some of the questions you can ask yourself to think about which platforms are going to best suit your needs yeah if you really don't have that much money Okay, this is for every small business out there that is on the same situation as this caller. Oh, my God, but I don't have that much money for ads. Then you are going to double down on your content into different platforms. Are, have you really taken, are you taking TikTok very serious or are you just being lazy and repurposing that content? Have you, have you taken some of your Instagram reels and TikToks and put it on your YouTube shorts? Have you thought about LinkedIn? Guys, LinkedIn is not just business anymore. LinkedIn has become so much personable. It's B2B, B2C. You can do direct outreach on LinkedIn too. So if you don't have money for ads, you're going to double down on branching out that, you know, Facebook, Facebook groups, WhatsApp, WhatsApp groups, branch out into other platforms and double down on your content creation. And that's how you can increase your chances of more and do events. Let's also talk about, you know, real, um, you know, outside of the digital world, do events, do meetups, bring your community together. And ultimately, show your face, tell Mm. us your story. Your story is the most unique one. That's the way you'll send out I think we forget about that sometimes, you know, when we're when we're scrolling and we're yeah. consuming. And I shop an awful <laughs> lot through social media. I do, but um, my goodness, I've been to the right market recently and spent a fortune because <laughs> because I, you know, I, I love hearing people's stories. I love being, you yeah, know, them talking me through their products. Um, I'm just a sucker. Yeah. I'm, you know, I am. I'm like, you seem lovely. Here's my money. Yeah, um, and that's it, what sells. It, well, it does because it's that human yeah. connection, isn't it? You know, it's about the person behind the product. It's their story. It's their passion. It's their, I'm yeah. here. I'm listening. What do you want? And I would say with yeah. my kind of Christmas shopping this year, I'd say half has been in person and half has been online. Um, and it's yeah. got to be that mix, especially if you're new, especially if it's a, a product that people yeah. haven't seen before or touched before. or You haven't had that yeah. opportunity to talk. That there's There's got to be a bit of a middle ground because anonymous. Yeah you know, sometimes is, is fine no, and functional, but it's not going, what I want to respond to. The way yeah, the way we're going on to 2024 and a lot of what we've seen in 2023, brands are totally becoming personable. We're seeing all of these celebrities, all of these YouTubers, everybody's launching out a product. And I know that maybe you're listening to me like, okay, but Alex, I'm not famous. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a famous, it doesn't matter. You were, you're story, your personality, the way that you are is ultimately what will always sell your product. It's it's a lot of that human side that you are going to put into your content. The more authentic you are, the more people will get to know you. And then you have a product next to that. It's the most powerful combination for small businesses. As we do come to the end of the year, Alex, looking back on 2023, yeah. is there anything that you would do differently or anything that your clients have come forward and said, you know what? That didn't really work for us, and I would change that for next year. Um, I think it's been about, there's been a lot of conversation around paid media. A lot of small businesses have done paid media, but they didn't. It's actually, I feel like we're going a little bit full circle to the beginning. A lot of small businesses haven't really understood, okay, I spent this money, but what did I actually get back? Mm. I get it. We're small businesses. We have small teams, and we just spend, spend, act fast, move fast. But we need to be more conscious about, you know, I'm putting in money in my ads, or maybe I'm doing an event, but are we really connecting the dots, especially with our sales funnels? I've seen a lot of small businesses doing a lot of events, but are you really connecting your funnel dots? Like, what are you doing before the event, then post-event, 
all of those dots need to be connected with when you are doing a lot of these events, for example, or when, when you are doing these one-off marketing campaigns, be really careful. Are you really planning it accordingly that you are getting the maximum out? Sometimes when I'm planning those things with my clients, I'm like, oh, I thought this was just going to be like a small event type thing, but there's so much work that needs to happen before. Mm -hmm. So you really get people to the event, building leads, capturing leads, nurturing so many of those leads and, and contacts that you get. So really paying attention. Are you doing your campaigns properly? Are you connecting your sales funnel dots properly so that you're getting as much out of the money that you're putting in your marketing? Mm -hmm. This is definitely one of the big things coming to the end of the year Some that we can't just be doing things yeah. quickly. Scott again. Yeah. yeah. Got you. Okay. Mm. Yeah. To the text line we go. If you've got any questions for Alex, don't forget House of Social, you can find out some brilliant, as we said, free courses if you want to educate yourself over the holidays and into the new year. Or you can pick up brains right now by getting in touch on the app, the WhatsApp yeah. before zero zero one. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, JT says, My early New Year's resolution is to start my own side hustle. Don't want to share too much in brackets. But wondered if it's even <laughs> worth having a website these days. I'm hoping to sell through yeah. Instagram. Go on. That didn't even finish no. the question. It's a yes. Yes, yes, yes. For anyone out there still thinking, do I need a website? 100% because this is the biggest thing. Your website is your own real estate. You get to know the traffic that's coming in. You get to capture the leads. You can get to know how to retarget the people that are on your website. You can customize everything accordingly, your messaging, your imagery. So, yes, this is not even, I hope everyone listening, you need, 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 need to have a website. Even if it's a two-pager or mm -hmm. even if it's a one-pager sales funnel, this is your real estate. This is the most powerful thing. Yes, people navigate on social media, but we want to drive traffic to our own real estate because we can control it and we can own that data. I like that. Um, I often <laughs> think about people who are solely Instagram, you know, whether you, I don't know, you're a fitness model or you only sell through Instagram. That could be, that platform could be taken away from us at any time. And then you're like, Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, you're right. Website capturing, yeah. capturing data. Um, it is it's all yours. And JT, all the very best. Let us know in the new year when you're ready to shout about it. Um, Kevin yes. saying, January sales, any advice? We're a service company. Yes. Our competitors do it, but worry that signing people up at the lower rate means we'll lose people when the prices go up. That's a tricky one. What do you think? Ooh, love it, love it, love it. Okay, yes. Um, January, okay, first of all, January, should you do something? Yes. Yes, you shouldn't really stay quiet in January, but what will you do? This goes back to the point of how much do you know your people? How much do you know your consumers? What do you think is going to add value for them in January? It could be that you do a special offer in Jan, or you are not selling in Jan, and you are going to provide immense value by doing a lot of things for free so that towards the end of the Jan, you've captured and nurtured a lot of leads, and then you can sell. In terms of price points, Twofold, twofold here when it comes to price point. You might see a lot of your competitors lowering their price. So you might think, maybe I should lower my price. Here is how I want small businesses to go about it. One way is stick to your pricing. Do not lower your price point just because you've seen someone else lowering. But if you don't lower your price point and you stay with your pricing, double down on your content strategy and in your storytelling and providing immense value. 
If you want to do special offers, if you want to lower your price a little bit down, then just be mindful that you are doing it for the right reasons because you know your consumers are looking for something a little bit lower, not because your competitors are doing. So, and you can have multiple revenue streams. You can, you can come up with a new service offering. I have a Rebel Club. My Rebel Club is 390 dirhams a month for one hour with Alex and group classes. That's a lower end offering that is great for small businesses, but I still have my higher tiered VIP packages. So know your people, know your consumers really well so you understand how to create revenue, different revenue. Don't just lower because the others are mm -hmm. lowering. You know, it's not like <laughs> right, she's here, she's full of passion. We've got, and you've got three minutes left, Alex from House of Social. And if we're not able to get through all of her expertise, you can hop on over to the website or, of course, her social media to find out more. Right, last question. This is from Lisa saying, Hi, guys, I don't know if you can help, but I need some headshots doing for my social and some op-eds. Mine are 10 years old, would love to support a small business. Well, Lisa, funny you should ask. I'm going to the <laughs> Bureau tomorrow. My friend Chandon, who's actually been on the show before, um, is offering headshots for a good cause, 150 dirhams. So he will take whatever headshots you need in, in that 10 minute, 15 minute slot. And then they are all yours. So money going to a very good cause. Um, and if you want those details, you can just send me the word photo and I'll send you the link. Um, in terms of supporting small businesses at this time of year, Alex, what would you like to say to consumers today? Because the platform is yours and we can do an awful lot of good with our hard earned dirhams at this time of year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm a small business. I'm going to champion, you know, behind every small business, there's a human with a dream, with so much passion. They pour their heart and soul. And yes, it's still also a business. But I would love the UAE to consider more and more shopping and browsing and, and considering small businesses. You know, I know that we love to go to the malls, but small businesses are doing things that are so unique, so delicious, so creative. So, you know, I hope that consumers listening... Take a look, browse through, consider buying from a small business. Sometimes you don't just have to buy to support a small business. You can follow their pages, open their emails, share it to a friend, repost some of their content. There's a lot of ways to support small businesses. It doesn't always have to go back to buying, but um, little things go a long way with small businesses. So I hope consumers out there get inspired to choose Small, small businesses with big ambitions, as I, I always agree. say it. <laughs> and, and lastly, for anyone that wants to upskill over the holidays, maybe in 2024, they want to be starting their own business. Would you be able to give us a quick, yes. a quick headline on um, some of the courses that you're offering for free right now? Yeah, my whole academy is for free. There's over 30 plus courses. There's about almost 9,000 students learning for free. But the most exciting thing is I'm giving away full access to my seven-week program. And today's the last day that they can enter my giveaway. So they just have to go to my Instagram stories and they can enter and they will have four lucky people will have full access to my seven-week program as well. So, uh, and today during this radio, I've been saying a code word that starts with D. If you caught it, you're going to win a one-on-one with me. <laughs> oh, how intriguing. All righty. Okay. Yes. That sounds intriguing. <laughs> Alex, thank you so much. House of Social, where you need to go. Um, thank you for all of your passion, all of your support Aww. you lend to small businesses year-round, but especially right now where they are competing with some really big yes. boys um, over, the, over yes. the gifting season. Thank you so, so much. We'll see you in person very soon indeed, I hope. And in the meantime, yes. happy holidays to you.
And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.